0: Chapter six of the convict by g p r james. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six I will beg leave with the reader to precede the party which was just setting out from Brandon and to give one more scene at the house of mr Clive, which took place shortly before their arrival. About a quarter of an hour after Edgar had turned his steps homeward, mr Clive entered the room where Helen was sitting and placed himself in a chair opposite to her but upon helen's part there was nothing like a bashful consciousness she had been accustomed to her lover's coming and going for years their mutual affection had sprung up so gradually or rather had developed itself so easily that she could hardly mark the time when they had not loved there had been none of those sudden changes which startle timid passion and neither her father nor sir arthur adelon had ever shown any of that apprehension in regard to their frequent meeting which might have created anxiety if not fear in her own breast she therefore looked up frankly in her father's face and said edgar has been here my dear father and unfortunately mr norris opened the door and came in while he was in the room but i am sure there is no cause for apprehension for i begged edgar not to speak of it to any one and he gave me his word that he would not mr clive cast down his eyes and thought for several minutes without reply but then he murmured some words more to himself than to his daughter saying that is bad that is unfortunate not that i doubt edgar my helen but i must speak with norris about it for he is somewhat rash and he may show himself to others not so much to be trusted that i do trust edgar you may well judge my dear child otherwise he would not be so often here he spoke gazing at his daughter with a look of some anxiety and with the white eyebrows drawn far over the eyes i know not that i am right my helen he added i almost begin to fear not i feel i should only be doing right if i were to bid this youth make his visits fewer and shorter and yet i would not pain him for a great deal for he is kind and good and honest but it must come to that in the end helen oh no my father no cried helen clive imploringly why should you do that listen to me helen said her father you have not thought of these things fully he loves you helen i know it cried helen clive with the ingenuous blood mounting into her cheek "'I know it, and I love him. "'But why should that prevent him from coming? "'Why should that deprive us of the very happiness which such love gives?' "'Because it cannot be happy, my Helen,' answered her father, "'because he is a gentleman of high degree, "'and you the daughter of no better than a yeoman.' "'My father,' said Helen, rising and laying the hand that was uninjured on her father's arm, have i not heard you say that the blood of the yeoman clive is as pure as that of the noble house of adelon and perhaps of older strain is not the land you cultivate your own as much or more than his that he farms to others there is not that difference between us that should be reasonably any bar but even suppose it were so what could you seek by separating us your own happiness my child answered clive gravely by making us both miserable some years months or weeks before we otherwise might be so rejoined helen eagerly that is all that can be done now we love as much as we can love and so long as we are doing naught that is wrong violating no duty to you nor to his father surely we may enjoy the little portion of happiness that is sure and leave to the future and god's good will the rest She spoke eagerly, and with her colour heightened, her eye full of light, and her beautiful lips quivering in their vehemence. And Clive could not help feeling a portion of a father's pride rise up and take part with her. He could not but say to himself, as he gazed at her in her beauty, She is worthy to be the bride of the greatest lord in all the land. Well, Helen, well, he said, using an expression which was habitual to him. I must trust you both, but remember, my child, in making over to you the care of your own happiness. I put mine under your guardianship also, for mine is wrapped up in yours. But hark! there is Norris, pacing to and fro above. I must go and speak with him. That wild spirit will not brook its den much longer.' And walking to the door, he mounted the stairs to the room which was just over that where he had been sitting ah you are come back at last clive said the strong hard-featured man whom i have before described well what have you heard were all those movements that alarmed you so much last night but mere idle rumour no answered clive but i find you were not the object a party of smugglers was taken farther down the coast and the intimation which the officer so mysteriously hinted to me they had received referred to that affair "'To be sure,' replied his companion. "'They all think me in the United States. "'No one but yourself has ever known that I was in France the while.' "'I can't help thinking, my good friend,' replied Clive, "'that it might have been better for you to have stayed there. "'You know you are in jeopardy here, and may be recognised at any moment.' "'Well, well, Clive,' answered his companion. "'I will not jeopardise you long. "'It is my intention to go on this very night so do not be alarmed i thank you much for what you have done which is as much or more than i could expect and i am only sorry that poor helen has been injured in my cause clive looked at him steadfastly for a moment or two with his usual calm steady grave expression of countenance and then replied with a faint smile it is curious norris how whenever men are blamed by their best friends for a foolish action when it is committed Or warned against a rash action which they are determined to commit, they always affect to believe that there is some personal feeling actuating their counsellor and persuade themselves that his advice is not good, not by trying it on the principles of reason, but by their own prejudices. I have no personal fears in the matter. I anticipate no danger to myself or to my family. Neither should you think so. Last night I was ready to have shed my blood to ensure your safety which i certainly should not have been likely to do if i were a man full of the cold calculations you suppose well 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 clive said norris interrupting him i was wrong i was wrong think of it no more but one meets so much cold calculation in this life that one's heart gets chilled to one's best friends my coming might indeed as you say be what the world would call rash but every attempt must be estimated by its object and till you know mine do not judge me hastily. Where I was wrong was in not giving you sufficient intimation of my intention that you might have prepared and let me know when I could land without risk. That the man I sent over to you was delayed one whole day for a passage, and that day made a great difference.' "'It did,' answered Clive, for I had barely time to send my own two men away to a distance, and get others in whom I could better trust to help me i had no means either of giving you warning that there was a great movement at barhampton and that the officers were evidently on the lookout for some one on the coast you only said that you would land in the cove between nine and ten and that i must show a light due east of the cove mouth to guide you as there was no moon i had nothing for it therefore but to make ready against attack in order that you might get back to the boat if you were the person these men were looking for but now norris i am very anxious to hear what is your object for it should be a great one to induce you to undertake such a risk it is a great one answered norris with his grey eyes flashing under his contracted brow no less than the salvation of my country clive in that last affair the rash fools of the manufacturing districts hurried on against all persuasion before matters were half ripe with the light spirit of the old gauls firm in the onset daunted by the first cheek and tame and crouching in defeat had they behaved like men i would have remained with them to the last to perish or to suffer but there was no shame in abandoning men who abandoned their own cause at the very first frown of fortune now there is a brighter prospect before me and before england there are sterner calmer more determined spirits ready and willing to dig a mine beneath the gaudy fabric of corruption and tyranny which has been built up by knavish statesmen in this land and to spring the mine when it is dug the boasted constitution of england which protects and nurses a race of privileged tyrants and refuses justice ay and almost food to the great mass of the people is like one of the feudal castles of the old barons of the land built high and strong to protect them in their aggressions upon their neighbours and in their despotic rule over their serfs but there have been times in this and other lands when the serfs driven to madness by unendurable tyranny have with the mattock and the axe of their daily toil dug beneath the walls of the stronghold and cast it in ruins to the ground so will we clive so will we clive crossed his arms upon his chest and gazed at him with a thoughtful and a melancholy look and when he had done he shook his head sadly as if his mind could take no part in the enthusiastic expectations of his companion why do you shake your head clive demanded norris impatiently because i have lived long enough my good friend replied clive to see some hundreds of these schemes devised perfected executed and every one has brought ruin upon the authors and worked no amelioration in the institutions of the land simply because men are tame under injuries simply because they submit to injustice simply because out of every ten men in the land there is not one who has a just notion of the dignity of man's nature or a just appreciation of man's rights was the eager reply of norris but their eyes have been opened clive the burden is becoming intolerable the very efforts that have been made and the struggles that have been frustrated have taught our fellow countrymen that there is something to struggle for some great object for endeavour they have asked themselves what and we have taught them our success only one great success and the enormous multitude of those who are justly discontented with the foul and corrupt system which has been established but who have yet daunted by repeated failures will rise as one man and claim that which is due to the whole human race sweeping away all obstacles with the might and the majesty of a torrent you clive you i am sure are not insensible to the wrongs which we all suffer i am neither unaware that there are many evils tolerated by law nor many iniquities sanctioned by law replied clive nor insensible to the necessity of their removal but at the same time i am fully convinced that there is a way by which they can be removed and that the only way in which they ever will be removed without violence or bloodshed or the many horrors and disasters which must always accompany anything like popular insurrection when the people of england think fit to make their voice heard i mean the great mass of the people that voice is strong enough to sweep away slowly but surely every one of the wrongs of which we have cause to complain but how can it make itself heard that voice of the people of england demanded norris where can it make itself heard the people of england the many the multitude the strength of the land the labouring poor have no voice in the senate at the bar on the bench the church of the majority is the rich man's church the law of the land is the rich man's law the parliament of the country is the rich man's parliament but it is vain talking with you of such things now but come and hear us for one single night hear our arguments hear our resolutions and you will not hesitate to join us no replied clive in a firm tone i will not norris i would rather trust myself to calm deliberate thought than to exciting oratory or smooth persuasions in fact norris as you well know and as i have known long i am of too eager and impetuous a nature too easily moved to place myself willingly in temptation when i argue tranquilly with myself i am master of myself but when i go and listen to others the strong passions of my young nature rise up i keep myself free from all brawls i enter into disputes with no man "'for in my past life the blow of anger "'has too frequently preceded the word of remonstrance, "'and I have more than once felt occasion "'to be ashamed of myself as an impetuous fool, "'even where I have not had to reproach myself "'as an unjust aggressor.' "'You have had enough to bear, Clive,' replied Norris, "'as I know from my poor lost Mary, your dear sister. "'The oppressor's wrong, the proud man's contumely,' the insolence of office, and the spurns that patient merit of the unworthy takes. With the old Saxon blood strong in your veins, the old Saxon freedom powerful in your heart, have not you and yours from generation to generation been subject to the predominating influence of the Norman usurpers, and are you not still under their sway? But hark, there are people at the door, and many of them. Perhaps they have come to seek me clive strode hastily to the window and looked out but then turned round saying no it is the people from brandon house sir arthur adelon and all the rest come down i dare say to inquire after helen for they are very fond of her as well they may be sir arthur adelon repeated norris with a slight smile that is well let me look at him and he too approached the window he is much changed he continued as he gazed out and perhaps as much changed in mind as in person but yet i must have him with us clive he must give us his support for it is necessary to have some gilding and some tinsel even on the flag of liberty clive laughed aloud you mistake norris he said if you calculate thus rashly your schemes are vain indeed sir arthur adelon is a mere man of the world kind and good-humoured enough but with no energy or resolution such as are absolutely necessary in those who join in great undertakings. "'It is you who mistake, Clive,' replied Norris. "'You see but the exterior. Underneath there are strong things mingled with weak ones, passions powerful enough and persevering. And you shall see that man, with his high station, wealth, and name, shall go with me in that which I undertake, and shall prove a shelter and defence in case of need, should anything discover a portion of our schemes before they are matured. I must see him this very day before I go to Barhampton, for thither I shall certainly proceed to-night.' "'Well, Norris, well, you know best,' answered Clive with a faint smile. "'When I see these wonders I may have more confidence. Till then, I tell you fairly, all your plans seem to me to be rashness approaching to madness.' i must go down and receive them however for i hear they have come in shall i tell sir arthur that you wish to see him norris no answered the other thoughtfully i will make my own opportunity and clive departed leaving him alone chapter six